Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Starship Podcast Warlock. My name is Drew. My name is Jeff. And we are close to the end of the third season of Blackadder at this point. We are up to the fifth episode. And as you know, uh, we will be watching it together very, very shortly and then talking about it afterwards. Um, But of course, we have our usual pre-show ramble. Uh, And, uh, well, basically... Last time, as you know, we we talked a lot about 1987. We talked about the, you know, which is the the year in which the series came out. Uh, We talked about, you know, TV, movies, uh, things like that. Yeah, music. Uh, We talked for a good long time. And we know that, you know, for some of you, uh, that may have been uh, a little difficult. You know, younger listeners who weren't around uh, don't feel the same kind of nostalgia. So for this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. And we're going to talk about the video games of 1987. Jeff, are you ready with your list? Oh, God, yes. Okay. Uh, So first of all, before we jump into that, I will talk about what I was doing vis-a-vis video games in 1987. Uh, Not much. So uh, we've mentioned previously that uh, Jeff is now the custodian of my, uh, or curator or whatever it is, of my old Intellivision knockoff video game system. But in fact, for my entire childhood, that was the only video game system of any kind that I owned. Uh, you were I never lucky. had <laughs> I never had a Nintendo, uh, an NES. I never had a Super NES. I never had a Sega Genesis, any of those things. Um, and like when I had my first job after college, that's when I bought a used NES. Um, and, and started, you know, trying to play games on that, but it was, you know, obviously not in great shape. Uh, and the first sort of new console I bought was a PlayStation in 1997, 98. I don't remember where it came out. Whenever it came out, that's when I bought it. Uh, little, and that started a that, lifelong addiction. Th- what? A little before that in terms of when it came out, but, uh, oh, but well, still, that was, that was still during the lifetime of the uh, of the PS because the PS2 wasn't until like 2001, 2000, around when I oh, moved. Oh yeah, in. well, I definitely got the the PlayStation in the late nineties. I do remember that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so I didn't have a lot in the way of like you know I, I didn't play the same games everybody else played when they were growing up. Um, we had one place in town to play arcade games, which was a, a local pizza place, um, with you know, I, I kind of like the pizza, um, but obviously the big draw was the video games. They had Gauntlet, they had, you know, the Star Wars video game, they had Space Harrier, all that good stuff. Um, I don't know, maybe we're going to be talking about some of those things, but that was that was where I played video games. The only other way I did it was on our Macintosh Plus, which we got in 1987. So, uh, yeah, so a lot of the games that I played as a kid were on the Mac, um, and actually, I have a list of some of the ones that came out in 1987, which we'll we'll get to. But we're going to start with Jeff's list. Um, Jeff, I assume you had other consoles or or systems. Uh, you weren't like me. Um, no, actually, I'm not too far off from that. The main thing for me was that my, my parents wouldn't get a video game system. I got a computer. Uh, uh, I had okay. uh, I had Trash 80. I had uh, TRS 80 Color Computer One, Two, and Three. The Three came out in '86, which is about as close to this time period as you want and I wrote my own games or really I wrote my own demos you know animation and the beginning of games I was more enamored with drawing uh game catalogs for and coming up with idea for games than I wasn't actually completing the damn things (laughs) um but uh um yeah so I I I had that and there were a bunch of things that were great for that machine although I I tend to think of that more in the Atari era than the Nintendo era even though uh, mm-hmm. they, that branched both eras between you know the the, the original Coco was really you know the early eighties and and the uh, and the Coco three was more late eighties um, even though it was backwards compatible and you can see the lineage between the two but um, and I, I had a few games and things like that, that I played for the uh, through that but um, most of my fond memories of that are actually with the older system to be honest um, so uh, yeah I didn't have my my parents wouldn't get a game system. But a lot of my friends did. In fact, there was one mm-hmm. friend of mine that had an NES, and so he used to bring it over my house, and we would play it. And 
Um, I actually recorded some of the music on uh, cassette tape. Remember cassette taped kids? Oh, you probably don't. But um, <laughs> uh, but and that was how I learned to play the Legend of Zelda theme. I mean, I don't really play piano, but I can plink it with two fingers, and that's how I basically figured out how to play Zelda with the um, with uh, you know full um, multi voiced. Uh, um, I, I sat down and figured it out. Oh my um, gosh. By, by playing that tape until it nearly fell apart. Uh, but um, speaking of Zelda, so actually, in terms of speaking of games, um, really, we can talk about games from the arcade. Uh, we could talk about console gaming, and we could talk about computer gaming. So you can you can split it up multiple ways, to be honest. And then, of course, if you want to talk about consoles, because the NES was the biggest thing at the time, uh, of course, the stuff came out earlier in Japan, and and in terms of translation and things like that, and and for some systems where it was you know a disc system in um, in uh, Japan, but uh, not in the U.S. It was cartridges and the and the um, the games that needed a save capability. They finally came up with like a battery backup, so you could actually save it on onto the cartridge, or you had a password related system right you had to type in some long arcane password oh, that kind that's of encoded right. the different you know and people figured out ways to break it and, and uh, or there were specialty passwords that actually gave you a bunch of different things the the justin bailey code for net uh, for metroid being one of the famous ones um this is really going to be a crowd pleaser of an episode i can already feel it <laughs> to, to, to people over 40 yes exactly yes um well uh, let me interject real quick that uh the situation you had with your friends and the nes and stuff i had too so my best friend had an nes i'm pretty sure and i know he had a sega genesis and so when i went over to his house i would get to play those things but i wouldn't play them anywhere else yeah um well so regarding so your list oh uh, yes i was i was just about to get to that so um, what i'm thinking is uh we should talk about because this is kind of like our our history and not necessarily the whole history of 1987. We right. should focus on the ones that we played and loved. So, oh yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. That's, so, what do yeah. you got? All right. So, um, if we were going to start with NES, now the interesting thing is, like I said, uh, most of these came out prior to 87 in Japan, but they hit the U.S. in 87. So, I mean, the big ones came out. That's when Metroid came out. That's when Zelda came out. That's when mm. Punch Out came out. That's when the first Mega Man came out, although the first Mega Man was kind of a dud. It wasn't until the second one came out a, a couple years later that was actually um, where they, they uh, a lot of the stuff that they reworked. And in fact, that was actually something that was done by the programmers on their own time, believe it or not. Um, but that's post 87. So who cares? Um, <laughs> the, the second Castlevania came out in Japan at that point. The first Final Fantasy came out in uh, oh, wow. a Nintendo at that point. Uh, East, which I, I never played. Um, and then in terms of other Japanese game or other games that came out internationally in 87, although it didn't make it to the U.S. until early 88, um, the uh, the uh, PC version of Tetris. Mm, uh, it's mm -hmm. funny. I, I put that under the Nintendo section and the original Metal Gear. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that 87 was a huge, huge year for for NES in the U.S. Um, I mean, you know, Metroid Zelda punch out alone. I mean, there, there's there's three huge franchises right there, which um, really should be combined. When you set them all together, I'm like, oh yeah, of course, Metroid Zelda Punch Out. Yeah, I love that game. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I mean, there are some great games out there. There's some fan games that have actually done mashes uh, mashups of those uh, of those, or I mean, even oh other God. ones. There's one that's like a somebody took a version of Super Mario and basically put other Nintendo characters in there. So like, you know. Um, you could play Super Mario, you know, running one one. Instead of getting a mushroom, you get a Varia suit, basically for uh, for a charge up and, and stuff like that. And and you know, Zelda he runs around and and you know throws swords at uh, at the Koopas and stuff like that. So it's actually pretty entertaining. Oh my gosh! Um, so that that's uh, that's consoles. Of course, the Atari kind of made a little bit of their comeback. They actually were working on in 1984 the Atari 7800. Um, oh yeah, which you know most people don't remember that one so much. Um, that they they were ready for that in '84, and then Jack Tramiel took over uh, uh, Atari and basically said, "Look, consoles aren't where it's at. Computers are where it's at," which is kind of understandable. And also, he came from Commodore, uh, so they kind of killed off the game system. And then when Nintendo came out, uh, Nintendo was careful to market as an entertainment system, not a console system. After the video game crash of oh, 1984, 
And that's why they came out with the robot. You know, the robot was not, a, I think, a Japan thing. That was they, they were marketing it to say this is something completely different. Uh, but we all knew it was a video game system. And so, um, <laughs> you know, and, and so Atari belatedly took their three-year-old system, two- or three-year-old system out of mothballs and pulled it out again. So that was in 86. But they, they added a bunch of games in 87, but they were mainly games that were popular in 1984. So uh, they were great, but they were the old-style arcade games. And so that's that's less interesting. So anyways, that's that's... Um, console gaming and, and a friend of mine had an Atari 7800 and, and that's where I got to see some of those and I remember reading about it in video game magazines in 84 and I was like oh my god this thing finally came out and it was great it's just that you know the Nintendo had come out in that time um, for uh, for arcade games and this is weird jumping around this way but I want to save the computer stuff to, laugh or, to last mm-hmm. um, arcade uh, Contra Okay. Um, I played the living crap out of that, and, uh, <laughs> and and the NES version. You know, I mean, probably, um, you know, the Konami code on that. Let's face it. Um, but I actually, actually played through it in an emulator the other day, and I didn't use the Konami code. I instead used save states. You know, so same thing. Uh, Contra, Double Dragon, the original Street Fighter, which uh, like Mega Man, the first one was not such a big deal. The second one was the one that took the world by storm a few years later. But the original Street Fighter was interesting because. You know, if you remember, Street Fighter has um, six buttons, basically three for kicking and three for punching. That's oh, yeah. supposed to be like, you know, um, low, uh, little, medium, and hard. Uh, but one version of uh, the arcade, and the first one that I ever saw, and they're fairly rare nowadays for reasons which will be blindingly obvious, is that if you, it, they were made with these two foam buttons basically they, they weren't buttons they were like you know maybe the size of a like a small drum basically and you would pound them and how hard you pounded them determined how uh, how big the force of your your blast was and of course everybody <laughs> pounded the shit out of them and of course uh-huh. they broke very easily as a result of it so uh, oh, man. that's when they they pretty much switched all the buttons and the, the original game was kind of so-so but the, the you know the second one is the one that really took off uh mm-hmm. so contra street fighter double dragon uh, Tech Mobile, which was a uh, fun little uh, football game. Um, uh, Road Blasters, which is basically a driving game, but you also shoot. Blast? Yes, you also blast. You also shoot at, <laughs> shoot things at people. I cracked um, their code. Yeah, uh, yeah, go figure. Uh, Galaga 88, which was this really weird... Um, uh, and, of course, it's set in 88 because it's the future, you see, in 1987. <laughs> uh, that had this... Oh, my God. Uh, it was actually a very fun little variant. I, I actually thought it came out later than 87. I was shocked when I saw that. Um, and uh, it was kind of cool because there were different things you would... you would uh, at, at some point, this wormhole would appear, and it would, if you got the wormhole, you would warp into this different world, and so the enemies were all different in this different world. There was like little parallel universes that would branch out. Uh, it's kind of a cute little thing. Uh, hmm. And then the, the other one that I wanted to mention is Zybots. Zybots is basically a... 3D, so kind of first person. Well, it's, it's not first person because you could see your character, but you're in the maze, so you're looking right behind the character and, and rotating as, as the character's running around the, the maze. Uh, but it's basically a science fiction version of Gauntlet. Oh, okay. Um, and there were there were teleporters and things like that. And, and I don't remember if it spoke or but it was also the same hardware as Gauntlet. And, you know, so a lot of the sound effects and, you know, you could tell it was on the same hardware, even though instead of being top-down, it was... Like I said, in the maze type of thing. That's always a fun little game. It had warps to different levels and things, um, and also would eat your quarters. You know, uh, your strength, <laughs> your strength would drain away. It was it was very similar in that way. Anyway, that that's the arcade scene. Now for the uh, now for the home computer scene. Um, I have to say, a lot of these games because they were you know I didn't really have a Mac until college. Uh, so mm. that was ninety one, um, or, or really get to play with them very much, or PCs for that matter. Um, so like I said, Trash 80. So a lot of these I played later on. I'm listing them mainly because of the fact that they came out in 1987 and the one that okay. I have to mention above all else, and this consumed <laughs> a lot of my time in college, um, Fool's Errand. Yep. Yeah, I figured um, we'd talk about that. Oh yeah. I mean, that's a, you know, the, the mother of all great puzzle games. And if you... And if you go to Cliff Johnson's website, that the, the man was amazing. I actually like three and three better, but Fool's Errand was was great. It was a computerized version to some extent of things that he designed as a um, kind of little. Um, I think it was a Christmas uh, 
Christmas themed uh, or something he gave out for Christmas. He he would do he actually did this on pieces of paper and and would give people puzzles to solve essentially for that for some sort of challenge. He he did stuff for like some David Blaine million dollar challenge stuff like that. that master puzzler guy, and um, uh, in addition to apparently working at a lot of old decrepit theme parks like. Um, uh, lake compounds in and uh, Darien Lake and stuff like that. Oh yes, uh, and up the, well, up the east coast. I, can I interject a quick anecdote oh, yeah. about Fool's Errand? So, uh, I was playing that. I don't. It might have been around this time actually, but probably a little bit later. Um, and uh, and so I was playing Fool's Errand, and I was playing it a lot. Uh, and partly it's because I was sick. Um, you know, so I was playing that while I was getting an ear infection, basically, and so this ear infection was so bad that I was like hallucinating <laughs> and I would hallucinate fool's errand stuff. So <laughs> whenever I see it, it's a little bit traumatic for that reason. It kind of takes me right back to that horrible can agony. Look, can you look at a tarot deck the same way? Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, don't know. <laughs> I mean, fool's errand to give you an idea is it, it's this brilliant, brilliant. Um, it looks like this nice little scrolling narrative of this fool uh, trying to find these 14 treasures to save this land. And it's all based on the, the right, right, uh, uh, tarot deck um, and the puzzles are there. some of them are wordplay uh, some of them are are ones where you actually have to figure out what the rules are as you go along uh, mm -hmm. the maddening thing is at the very end uh, at some point you get to a point where everything that you solve gives you a piece of this map and at some point you have to figure out how to assemble the map together which is another puzzle and then when that's done there's a meta puzzle where you have to go through everything you've already solved and find things that are hidden in um in all the scenes you've gone through and then arrange those in a certain way. Um, and, and you get through this entire narrative and this entire story as a result of it. It was actually, well, you get through the entire narrative. I never finished this game. Never really. I mean, <laughs> not till I, I mean, not till college. And I admit, you know, I probably went on some at the time FTP sites and, and looked up a couple of things, but oh, sure. um, there, there are a couple of things that there that I feel like are just, um, you really have to brute force that I find kind of annoying. Uh, Fool's Errand, or, or uh, 3 and 3, which came out later on, um, I, I actually like uh, better. I feel like is more fair for the most part. But um, but Fool's Errand is a brilliant, 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 brilliant game. A and he uh, he designed it in HyperCard because oh, he yeah. didn't really know how much programming, which is interesting because years later, and it took him about 8 to 10 years um, in like the, the early 2000s, um, he finally did a sequel that was in Flash. Mm. Uh, remember Flash, folks, and because I think that was about the closest to a spiritual successor for somebody that didn't actually do full full programming. Um, and at that time, look, this could be cross-platform and stuff like that. But uh, and, and that one was it was a huge, huge game, and I think uh, you lost the narrative in a little bit because it kind of just went on and went too repetitive or whatever. But but still, great game. And the, the Fool's Errand is. It, if you haven't played it, you've never played anything like that before, but probably the best puzzle game ever. Um, and, uh, oh, and some things that, like, you know, I actually tried to sit down and see if I could write, like, an iPad version of it years ago. And the fact is I forgot that there are certain things that you really need the mouse for. There's yes. a couple of things. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of, like, fourth wall breaking or metapuzzle stuff that you wouldn't expect that all of a sudden you're like, why can't I click on this button all of a sudden? And and mm -hmm. um, brilliant, brilliant uh, stuff. Anyway, so that's Fool's Errand. Um, Crystal Quest... Oh, which, God. yeah, which, yeah, um, we used to play the the hell out of in um, in the Norm, the Campus Humor magazine's uh, office. Like that used to be on all the machines there, and and um, you know, um, one I remember the mouse being, you know, basically if you weren't careful, if you if your move if your movement wasn't uh, very steady, basically that you'd end up flying all over the place and, and lack of control. Uh, although the color version would run slower because it took up a lot more memory, apparently, and uh, I felt like in oh, some yeah. ways it was easier to do for the color version. That plus the fact that when you actually made it through the gate that there was like, you know, a woman's moan voice, which also got sampled on some cases for when you actually stuck in a computer disc. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I was just thinking about that when I saw that on the list earlier, and I was like, mm -hmm. you know, that was that was a lot worse. I, I should have... Like, I, I don't know why at the time it wasn't as embarrassing as it is thinking about it now, and I'm like, oh my god. Can't believe that we were was a game boys, in 1987. Yeah, uh -huh. um, um, and that I don't know if you're going to mention these, but I'm going to throw something in. Uh, go for it, because I'm I'm looking at a list of Mac games on uh, our favorite site, which is Wikipedia, um, and they've made it difficult to do this kind of like uh, uh, 
casual back of the envelope research because yep. they're arranged letter by letter and I had to sort all of them by date <laughs> in order to figure out what was from 1987. But the the two that I'm seeing that uh, make me excited to see are Beyond Dark Castle, mm-hmm. which was an extremely frustrating game for the Mac. Uh, extremely frustrating for me. I'm easily frustrated. Um, where uh, you're this guy running around through a dungeon and you have to throw rocks at things and pull levers and not get killed and not fall. And it was just, there were so many ways to mess up that uh, situation. Uh, it was very frustrating, but it's fun. And Beyond Zork is another one that came up under B, uh, which I uh, have always enjoyed the Zorks. Uh, up, up to probably about this time, Beyond might have been the last one that I played uh, with any dedication. I didn't care for Beyond. That that's when that broke me, actually, as I recall. Um I really liked it, but I don't remember too much about why. Yeah. Um Yeah. Um that, that was you you were getting into the latter days of the text adventure oh, okay. at that point. Um mm-hmm. and uh um you know, which is interesting because of course this is where the graphic adventure came in and, and uh and that that's a good segue for the fact that this was kind of eighty seven was a banner year for Sierra. Because oh, yes. um, they they did all right Space Quest Two, which I, I feel like Space Quest One is a little hard to play. Uh, again, I feel Space Quest Two is the first one that's that's kind of playable nowadays. Even though Space Quest One got a remake and and mm-hmm. the later ones are are definitely better. But uh, two I played quite a bit of uh, Police Quest uh, the original, which was interesting, although I didn't play through it that much. And the original Leisure Suit Larry. Oh God, yes, that's uh, right. Which. Uh, for for those of you not familiar, again, it was uh, a Siri adventure game, and um, and the goal is that you're basically this loser in this leisure suit whose job is basically to hit on women and attempt to score with them, and um, and that had six or seven sequels uh, at least, um, <laughs> and uh, and was actually based on there there was a non uh, there was a game that Allo did before it uh, on which that was the germ for leisure suit Larry called. Uh, soft porn adventure, so that gives you the idea. Oh my um, god! Although this this one was kind of PG. I mean, it was mainly PG for the most part. Yeah. Uh, some of the later ones actually went to the uh, actually had bits where you know if you could find an Easter egg where they would briefly disrobe or something like that. But um, I, I have to say the if you take out the prurient respects of it from a uh, from a game playing and, and adventure solving um, point of view, it it was quite ingenious in its own way. Uh, the only problem, of course, at Sierra being Sierra is it was usually uh, frustrating when you uh, they had there were a lot of ways for you to go into dead ends and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, but it was would, it was really brilliant of them to come up with a type of game that would get teenage boys to want to play video games. So that's oh yeah, very impressive. Yeah, there aren't there aren't <laughs> any of those around. Otherwise, yeah, of oh course God. Uh, um, and there was one other one that I had on my list, even though I didn't uh-huh. play so much myself, but. Uh, just being aware that this is when it came out. If you're familiar with a game called Litter, Little Computer People, I'm not. I'm not familiar it's, with that game. It's basically um, early Sims slash Tamagotchi. It was kind of the first of its own genre. Is oh. about the only way I can put it. So, you know, picture that in in '87. You can imagine it was fairly crude and all that. But uh, yeah, interesting. It was it was an interesting year. I mean, like most of the stuff that I was playing probably came out before 1987 because I would get a lot of games from the library. You could check. I, I don't know. Uh. This probably seems crazy to kids now, but like you you would check a video game out of the library and it would have all the floppy disks of the game and like, you know, laminated uh, manuals and everything else in this little plastic bag. And so I would I would take those home and play them. Um and uh, I won't dwell on this, but one of my favorite games during that time is this game called Braticus, um, which is this science fiction game, and it's kind of a uh, how can I how can I describe it? Um, it's an adventure game basically, and and it, it's pretty well realized for its time. You get this little character, you move around. It's got elevators, it's got people to talk to, it's got sword combat, everything else. Um, but it it would get really bogged down whenever there was a bunch of people on screen, a bunch of characters on screen. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. it would just like poke along and kind of go in slow motion and people's heads would fly off and stuff. It was a fascinating game, but pretty hilarious in terms of the uh, uh, coherence of it all. 
Well, yeah. Uh, did you have anything else on your list you wanted to cover? Um, I think that's a fair that's a fair listing. I mean, I will say that uh, you know it's interesting. As I said, the number of things that I actually ended up playing in you know once I got to college that were from '87 for the computer, as opposed to the console stuff that I played, which was mainly through somebody else's uh, you know um, playing through somebody else's NES, uh, and then the rest of it was either stuff I was playing in the arcade or the stuff that I had at home, which was really stuff from 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing I'll say about Bradicus now that I'm looking at the uh, uh, the page for it is apparently the game it was originally, and then they built it on the remains of that game is the way they put it, um, was Bandersnatch. Uh, and apparently the Black Mirror uh, uh, thing yes. that they released called Bandersnatch was kind of a reference to that because it was a failed game. Interesting. So that I did not know until now. See, you learn something from this podcast, everybody. And that's why we should talk about Brickcoms, because <laughs> you learn about 1987 video games. Oh, totally yeah. So totally if you're still it. with us, thank you for uh, bearing through our little trip down memory lane. Uh, it was very satisfying, I think, for the two of us, and hopefully for at least one of you. Uh, but now it is time to return to Blackadder. So, uh, well, I guess what's going to happen is we're going to take a short break. And uh, we'll come back and we will sync up the episode and watch it. Uh, So we'll be right back. Okay, it is time to watch the fifth episode of the third season of Blackadder. Um, So what's going to happen now, of course, is that Jeff and I are going to fire up our various streaming uh, apps um on which we're going to watch Blackadder maybe you have a DVD actually Jeff I don't know maybe you are watching it on DVD what do I know I am watching it on DVD absolutely oh, okay well I'm watching it on Apple TV um so I'm zeroing out my video right now and Jeff is doing the same mm-hmm. I see the name of the episode is Amy and Amiability which mm-hmm. I quite like um it's a good name do you want do you want to have a guess who the guest star is uh Amy Sedaris no. Amy Pond? No, I will I will give you a hint though. It is somebody that has already been um we've already <gasps> discussed said person, as I mentioned is on it, uh, the show before. I think I know who it is. Uh is their first initial M? Yes. Okay. Then I do know who it is. Uh for everyone else who is somehow watching this for the first time, if you are, then you will not be spoiled. Uh but it's Miranda Richardson. Let's go. <laughs> you bastard <All> right. <laughs> okay here we go uh, we're going to count down from three and then I'm going to say play and we're going to go here we go three two one play Talking about Amy Pond is making me want to watch The Girl Who Waited again. The Doctor Who episode. Yeah. So which one is Amy and which one is Amiability? <laughs> well, the older one's not very amiable, so she must be Amy. I see how you did that. I was just thinking his hairdo is a bit odd. (laughs) I think it's different than usual. Fatang, fatang, ole biscuit barrel. Ah, the Procrustean house. (laughs) 
What is Baldrick doing? Is he plucking a chicken or something? I believe so. I mean, I think that's what he's supposed to be doing. Oh, okay. It's the White Guardian. And the Black Adderian. Hmm. This is historically accurate. <laughs> well, you did. That too is true. It's <laughs> a nice double meeting there. <laughs> of course, it was only six or seven years since Charles and I at this point. <laughs> I like that Baldrick has the Percy role of kind of idolizing various romantical things. There's the chicken.
is it just me or is that bread sort of obscene? <laughs> I don't know. I missed it. such a brilliant lead up <laughs> You're no Lord Flash Art. <laughs>
another Lady Hamilton joke. <laughs> that poor chicken. I know. <laughs> My God. <laughs> I love that joke. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> oh my god <laughs> That's almost an Edmund line. Yeah. <laughs> your lupins are your life <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs>
<laughs> it's almost a Muppet Show noise. Yeah. <laughs> Ships cooking hedgehog can never be buggered at all. <laughs> wow. Yep. <laughs> Good grief. Ha, ha, ha. 
<laughs> well, I quite enjoyed that. Ah, yes. It's nice to see my, um, well, I'll save it to after the credits play. Very well. Uh, Mr. Warren Clark, who played her father, also played Oliver Cromwell in the uh, Cavalier years. Oh, okay. I was trying to remember if I'd seen him before in something. Yeah, I don't recognize the two that get robbed. All right, uh, we'll take a brief intermission and then we'll be back to discuss the episode right after this. All right, we have just finished watching Blackadder 3 colon quotation mark Amy and Amiability close quotation mark. Uh, Jeff, what did you think? Well, you know, as this episode was previously my favorite of the season, I was curious to see how well this held up, um, not only on its own, but comparing it to the rest of the season after we're, we're watching it in close amount of time to each other. And I can confidently say that um, my it's only gone up in my, uh, in my estimation. I love this episode to death. And I, I almost can quote this one I realized about as much as I can for, with uh, most of Blackadder <laughs> 2. Um, I, I adore this episode so much. And, um, you know, I, I love how you, you basically see the two bits of, um, you know, it, it's, we've already seen Miranda Richardson do both the, the, the cute little, uh, the cute little voice and the, the nerves of steel. But of course, uh, um, this kind of takes both of them to extremes in her own way. And, um, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, 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 I love, love, love this. Uh, but I mean, even that, you know, wouldn't necessarily hold up well enough by itself. Uh, if, uh, if the rest of it wasn't so strong, like, I mean, even the, um, uh, the scene where they get robbed is, uh, is funny. Um, mm -hmm. the, the nice little callback to the cards at the end, like to me, everything in this episode works. It's a, it's a solid episode, even if you'd cast a much less capable actress and well, no, that, that just elevates it even further. But, but just to point out the fact that the acting is great and the writing in this is, is probably the best of the season as well. I have to agree. I feel the same way. Uh, this, uh, has edged into the top spot of the season for me. Um, I really, really liked it. Um, there were a couple of quote edgy jokes, um, oh, yes. which, you know, honestly, I think in context, uh, were not that bad. Um, and in fact, uh, sort of pointed in the right direction. Um, the, like the, the meta, I don't know, it's not meta stuff, but it's like, it kind of is the reference to the unrealistic grassy knoll. And then the, uh, tray that drops from his hands and jumps back in, mm -hmm. uh, very funny bits. Um, it, it just, the, the level of orchestration that Edmund goes to, to, to make this work. It's interesting because like in the other two, as we've kind of been talking about, he, he, in the, in the previous two series, is kind of hanging on by the skin of his teeth, you know? So he comes up with plans, but they're sort of desperate. And this one, you see him sort of actively scheming and he's been doing that in this role, uh, for most of the season, but this is probably the most elaborate, uh, one yet in, in my, uh, recollection. So oh, yeah. it's, it's really a pleasure to watch that the relationship between him and Baldrick. Um, <laughs> I really love the, the robbery scene, like everything about it is mm -hmm. hilarious to me. Um, 
<laughs> I like the little Cyrano de Bergerac scene, I guess, between uh, yeah. at, at, um, up there. And God help me, the radish joke, the way that builds. Oh, my God. <laughs> the, and the timing <laughs> on that is, is yep. what makes it for both of them. <laughs> yep, so good. Uh, yeah, I enjoy this a lot. Um, I like the digs at whales, you know, just, I don't know, all the things that I like in a Black Black Adder episode are here, including Miranda Richardson, uh, who, uh, thank goodness she was, uh, in a dual role here. I think if she had just been playing the other character, it would have been unbearable. But I, as soon as I saw her, I remembered, oh yeah, she is the highwayman in this. So I kind of remembered that. Oh, okay. Once I kind of saw, in fact, I thought that was the only thing she played and I had forgotten that she appeared, uh, in her sort of like, uh, dim-witted guise as well before revealing herself to be a, a sinister highwayman. I was trying to figure out, do we know who dubbed her voice for, uh, for that? I was wondering it, that as well. Like it sounded familiar, but I, I don't know exactly who it, who it was. Like, I mean, uh, part of me wanted to say, oh, God, that should be Rick, but no, um, I don't think it is at all. Um, so I'm going to go look because... I, I, yeah, I couldn't find I any evidence of the it. Day. Really? I wonder if it's uh, sort of an uncredited thing. Well, it just wasn't on Wikipedia, but I don't know about elsewhere, I'm sure. Um, Let's see. Let's see if it's on IMDb. I bet it is. It is. It is. Uh, it does not say. No, unless you found it. No, uh, I'm looking at the same thing you are. Fascinating. Maybe it was someone, uh, one of the writers or, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe it was Tony Robinson or Hugh Laurie doing a voice. Didn't sound like it though. I I could believe Hugh Laurie doing that since he's, he's obviously very good at, uh, at accents, but yeah, I have no idea. Um, uh, one, one thing, uh, want to note was that the the um the father in the robbery scene uh roger avon um the only thing that uh caught my eye was that um he was in the uh the second um movie the second doctor who movie the daleks invasion 2150 ad <laughs> um it also lists him in doctor who just as doctor who 1963 so i mean i don't know which episode that uh that is, um, uh, it says 65 and it says Safadin Daxstar. Yeah. I'm going to guess the savages maybe because that is an episode I don't know very well. And, uh, and haven't seen because it's lost. And so that might be, that might be it. Uh, no, Daxstar was the manager of a research station on earth in the year 4000 and a friend of Brett Vion. So that, that brings it to Dalek's uh, master plan. Dalek's master plan. Yep. You're right. Another one that I have only seen part of because it doesn't exist. Well, part of it does, but yes, part uh, of it does. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, how funny. Well, uh, actually, uh, Safadin, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Was in the crusade or crusaders crusades. Crusades, I, I think that, that uh, another episode of which half the episodes uh, exist. Yeah, the Crusade. Yeah. Um, so uh, interesting. Okay, so two Hartnell episodes are two. How funny! Things. I felt like I'd seen him in something even more recently. Um, so I'm just looking to see. Possible died in in 1998. What that was Quatermass in the Pit. Probably not what I'm thinking of. Mm. Uh, just looking right now. I felt like I'd seen him in Blackadder again as well. He was the policeman who arrested Ringo Starr in Hard Day's Night. <laughs> well, I would not have seen him in that because I've never seen that. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I've I guess never we're seen doing any it. of the Beatles movies. I guess we're doing a Beatles movies rewatch. No. Oh, we're God. Not. No, we're not. Um, <laughs> uh, I, it would be watched for me. I've never seen it. Yeah. So. Well, anyway. Uh, yeah. So Amy and Amability. Uh, really good one. I liked it a lot. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see if the last episode can in any way top it. I mean, from what you're saying, it sounds like the answer for you is no. Um, but you never know with me. I'm very easily swayed, apparently. So, I, uh, I, I do enjoy the last episode for reasons that will become apparent once, uh, once that pops up. But I, I don't want to bias you on anything uh, on that, except for the fact to say that it's, Again, like saying it's hard to see anything that tops Blackadder 2, it's hard to think that anything tops this Blackadder 3, no matter how stellar it is. And that's all I'll say. 
All right. Well, I guess we'll find out. Um, I think uh, at least one of two guest stars we haven't seen yet, I think, has got to show up. Uh, another Young Ones alum, I think, has got to make an appearance. But we'll, we'll wait and see. Uh, if you, the listener, uh, <laughs> uh, know who dubbed Miranda Richardson's voice in her male guise as the shadow, or it's, you have anything else to say to us. It's me, isn't it? <laughs> no, I'm afraid not. Your father's multinational collapsed early this morning. Oh, damn. Um, if you know any of these things, please get, get on Twitter, uh, make an account, uh, and, uh, tweet us at Starship Warlock, uh, that Starship Podcast Warlock without the podcast part. It's kind of a rebus. Um, and, and let us know, uh, anything that you have on your mind about this, uh, including, uh, a show you'd like us to do next. As I've mentioned before, Jeff and I have been kicking around a few ideas, um, but if you have any, we would love to hear from you. We we really just want to know you're alive because we can see someone is listening to the podcast, um, but we we don't we don't know if they're real people or, um, or you or know bots, aliens picking up uh, podcasts from off the earth, trying to decide whether to uh, invade or not. It it could be just about anybody. So we want to know who you are. Um, uh, actually, how about uh, since we since we talked about 1987 video games, what are your favorite video games of 1987? <laughs> well, if anything will bring our listeners out of the woodwork and overcome their shyness, it's that question. Yes. If you have any questions about Fool's Errand and need help for solutions. Do not write us about 1988 or 1986, because if you do, we will delete your message in red. 1987 or nothing. Man, that's rough. <laughs> Look, you've got to take a hard line. Okay, you know, that's fair. people will just deluge you with messages otherwise. Yeah, that's true. That's, so, that's my work in a nutshell. <laughs> All right. So we finish up uh, Blackadder 3 next time. And uh, I guess for this time, uh, this has been Drew. And this has been Jeff. And you have been listening to Starship Podcast Warlock. Warlock. Bye, everybody. Bye bye.